0: Welcome to the Bully Pulpit from the University of Southern California Center
1: for the Political Future. Our podcast brings together America's top politicians,
2: journalists, academics, and strategists from across the political spectrum for discussions on hot-button issues where we respect each other and respect the truth. We hope you enjoy these conversations.
3: Hello, everybody. Welcome to USC. Uh, my name is Alex Michelson. I am a proud graduate of the University of Southern California. Fight on everybody. Uh, it is great to be back on campus. For those of you that don't know me, I uh, anchor the evening news on Fox 11 Los Angeles at five, six and 10 o'clock. I host a statewide political show called The Issue Is that airs in every market in California, but here in LA Friday nights at 1030. And this week we have Vice President Kamala Harris exclusive one on one getting a plug in, and uh, just did that yesterday. And then and last week we were so excited to partner with USC and Politico and host the first debate in the California U.S. Senate race. Um, so it's great to be here with an esteemed panel. Uh, I guess we'd want to go around and just do quick introductions of yourself, no, Stephanie. No yeah.
4: Hi, I'm Stephanie Cutter. I run a company called Precision. Uh, and I've been in Democratic politics for most of my career, uh, most recently with President Obama.
1: John Anceloni and I have a polling company called Impact Research. Stephanie and I worked together in both the 2008 and 12 Obama campaigns, as well as the 2020 uh, Biden campaign.
0: Jessica Milan Patterson, and I'm the chairwoman of the California Republican Party.
3: And also an alum, right?
0: No, oh. I'm not.
3: Oh. oh, I the, thought you were. Okay,
0: I'm a Matador. That's the way State oh, okay. Northridge but my husband is a faculty member here. He uh, serves in the as an associate vice president.
3: Okay, very nice. Cool. Well, feel close to the family. Yeah,
0: yeah okay. and by marriage. Yeah. This
3: panel is to talk about the general election, which I guess we're already in. Let's start with that. Do you all agree that we're already in the general election?
0: We have a very robust primary still going on <laughs> on the Republican side, <laughs> <laughs> and we have a uh, the yeah. primary coming up on February 24th in uh, Ambassador Haley's home state of South Carolina. Um Certainly, the name of the game right now is not just delegates, but also momentum. President Trump has put away uh, Iowa and New Hampshire pretty handily. Um, So it'll be interesting to see how this continues to play out. We are still in the middle of the primary.
3: Can you? Go ahead. John.
1: No, I I actually I don't think we're in the general election yet. And you see some of it in the polling, especially among undecideds who don't think that Donald Trump yet is going to be the nominee. And I think that that has a kind of a psychological impact that, um, you know, Donald Trump, although you know, we're all kind of political we crave politics and we, we you know we, we go out there and we find information but the fact is that donald trump's kind of been under the radar screen for the last three years in a lot of ways and i, I think until he is literally the nominee and it dawns on General election voters, um, will you see kind of the shift and the reality of what that means um, until they really believe and know that he's going to be the nominee? How do you say under the radar? It seems like he's he's on. That, that's right. But yeah. here here's yeah. the thing: is is think he was off Twitter, right? Yeah. Uh, for for most of that time, other than the fact that he has all these indictments, et cetera. He himself hasn't been out there day and day in and day out like he was when he was in president and like you will be when you are the nominee. Mm -hmm. And I think that will cause him a lot of problems. You know, a lot of problems. Excuse me.
0: Unless you're Joe Biden. You are not out there day in and day
1: out. You know. (laughs) Okay. But the problem is, is that being day in and day out with Donald Trump causes him tremendous problems. And that's what, again, that kind of re-engagement in PTSD with the, the general public, I think, will cause him more problems than mm-hmm. the current president of the United States. And,
4: and I I start- think if I could just yeah. jump in, and I think his campaign knows that, Yeah, which is why they're being very strategic about where he is showing up. It's not that he hasn't been doing rallies and things like that. He doesn't get the media attention that he used to for his speeches at rallies, uh, that will change when we're further into the general election, but his campaign knows the less is more of him yes, and more of him in base type circumstances, not mass media.
1: And he didn't participate in debates. And again, that is a very under the radar screen type of thing. He picked and chose his things that he would do. And I think that it's interesting because I think that his campaign is restricting kind of his very front forward Mm -hmm. activity that he used to have. Stephanie, do you
3: think that we're essentially in general election mode now?
4: I think from a a Biden-Harris campaign standpoint, yes, they need to act as if we're in a general election. And you can see that now President Biden is using Trump's name on the stump. You can see it in some of the shift of the numbers for Biden now that people see this race emerging as between two people and no longer a referendum. On Biden, the numbers are moving, and I think we'll see more of that.
3: And just before we wrap up this primary discussion, Jessica, I want you to weigh in on the role of California in the primary and the rule changes in California this time um, and how important that is for people that are voting.
0: Well, we have an early state on uh, Super Tuesday. We also have the state with the most amount of delegates any other state in the nation, they don't even come close. Um, so 169 delegates are up for us on March 5th. And so California could play a major role if we go past uh, South Carolina.
3: And there was a rule change, though, that if somebody gets over 50 percent, correct, they get all of the delegates. So
0: left. in order to be in compliance with the Republican National Committee's rules, we had to change our rules because uh, our state is built out uh, by congressional district, winner take all by congressional district. So we had to move to a proportional. Allocation of delegates. Um, so our rule change uh moved it to statewide proportional. And that way if you've got 10% of the delegates, you're also still walking away with more than Delaware, right? Uh, but if a candidate gets above that 50% threshold, which is not very easy to do here in California, you get all 169 delegates.
3: But easier to do in essentially a two person race, which is what we're now in. Right.
0: I mean, yeah, I guess you could make that argument.
3: Yeah. John, let's just start broadly. You're the polling expert. You look at the numbers. How do you see the state of the race if it is Biden-Trump, right?
1: Alex, now? is anyone really a polling expert? Can we just kind of start there? <laughs> well, don't like, people pay you to be a yeah, polling they expert? Do. They do. Is that what you I said? Your is, what yeah. call you not the, I really don't know. That, what that's not on about. my website, is it? <laughs> no, listen, I think, that, I think the one thing that I can say, I think any pollster, if they were being honest, would say this at this point in time, is that the polling right now, a lot of it's just noise, right? It is a point in time thing. The, the fact is, again, the reality of, uh, it being a Trump-Biden, um, matchup will change the dynamics because there is a certain PTSD to what Trump means to their daily lives and how they will project that and thinking about them being president. The other thing I think that what polls don't get now is the fact that there's going to be, I, I saw an estimate, $2.7 billion spent in paid advertising um just in the presidential campaign. Wow. 76% of that in seven states. My point being is that, you know, it's what the campaigns have to say. Now, I, I think you will probably make a great argument that, hey, this is what the Trump campaign would say. Joe Biden and his campaign have a lot to say about what he's done to invest in America's future, to what he's done to invest in American families. We know from public polling that awareness levels aren't super high on that. But the fact is, is that we have a lot to say about what he's done, but more importantly, I think, about the future. And we also have a base that always takes more time to consolidate, right? I mean, that every campaign, why are people... Uh, super surprised that enthusiasm levels and, and uh, consolidation among our base, young people, regardless of color, people of color, etc. We always see that consolidation late, usually in September, really post Labor Day. And so the fact is, is that if you just take a look at the current polls and don't play out what's going to happen, I think that you're missing part of the story. The other thing I'll say, so it doesn't sound like I'm Pollyannish, is Donald Trump won by 77,000 votes in three states in 2016. Donald, uh, Joe Biden won by 44,000 votes in in three states. Two of the states were different in 2020. Who doesn't think that this is going to be a super close race? And basically the polling shows that it's going to be a super close race. And that's within the margin of error. And yeah, Donald Trump's up a little bit. And then guess what? Sometime during the year, I think it'll be dead even. I think that Joe Biden will be up a little bit and, you know, but it's going to be a flat line. And I think that when the bell
3: rings in Labor Day, we're going to replay 2020 and 2016. Isn't that wild to think $2.7 billion should be spent on a race with both people with 100% name ID?
1: Yeah. Right. In seven states, 76% of that will be spent in seven, seven
3: so, states. So who, Stephanie, then are the undecideds or the swing voters? Does that even exist anymore? Is it just about turnout? Who Who's being targeted with all that money?
4: Well, there are a lot of different people being targeted with that money because those ad dollars will, will be spent in a lot of different ways. Both sides have to turn out their bases, and their bases are extremely different. Um but the the margin on which the the winner uh will declare victory is with, you know, a very small segment of persuadable independent voters. So you have to persuade your base to turn out that this uh, the stakes in this election are so great that, you know, we need the base to turn out. We need the base to volunteer, get their friends out. But the real target for mass advertising is this very small group of independents. And those are these independents are, the you know, the same independents that we saw come out in New Hampshire um, and vote for Nikki Haley um, and the independents that just aren't going to go back to Trump. So two goals. Turn out your base at the highest margin possible and target that small sliver of voters
3: uh, in persuasion. Jessica, what do you say to that? And are you convinced that independents won't go back to Trump?
0: So I think what we can all agree on is that you can't win with just Republicans and you can't win with just Democrats. Mm -hmm. And right now, Gallup says that 40 percent of Americans identify as independent, whatever that means for whatever they are. You know, they could be registered as something, but they identify as independent. And we saw both in 2020 and 2022, who were the big winners? Ticket splitters. So you're going to see a lot of that. And they're going to be making the argument. And I think that there's a lot of people that in 2020 were voting for someone who was a beloved statesman. And now they have lived under four years of what that looks like to them. And what does it mean? Bite inflation. It means, you know, living paycheck to paycheck for 62 percent of people. It means a failing education system. And I think that they are longing for the days of when the economy was good. And so I think that's something that those independents are going to be thinking about.
3: I see a a face.
0: (laughs) I mean, you
4: know, as as Anzo said earlier, um, the Biden campaign is going to have a lot to say. And I think one of those things is that the economy today is stronger than when it was pre-COVID under Donald Trump. So people don't realize that White House has done a poor job of communicating it. You know, the dirty secret of being in a White House is you're kind of harnessed about what you can say and do. Now that they have a campaign apparatus and dollars to put behind it, that's all going to be clarified.
3: So how do you better, why do you think, what do you mean by that, by harnessed? and, And how do you think they can better communicate it?
4: There's a lot more you can say on a campaign trail than you can do when you're in government. Um, our good friend David Axelrod used to say, "In the White House, you can send the stock market crashing and armies marching." So you have to be careful what you say. And you obviously you can't campaign from the White House, so you you have a lot more freedom on the campaign trail. That's just the realities of being in government.
1: Yeah, and this is another thing that again is not kind of specific to Joe Biden. I mean, the modern presidency, whether you was you know a Democrat or Republican, has been handcuffed by the fact that. People get information in a different way now. We have social media. We have diffused, uh, media outlets, et cetera. And so, quite frankly, no modern president has been very successful in getting their agenda through to the American people. But guess what? In a campaign, whether you're Donald Trump or whether you're Joe Biden, you're each going to spend a billion dollars or more trying to get your message out. And quite frankly, in some ways, it's who does a better job of getting their message out. Um, we think that we did a really good job in, in, in 2020. And so, there's so much that people, you know, it's funny because, yes, the group of undecided and swing voters is small. We kind of all agree with that. Um, But the fact is, is that there's going to be a universe of people who are going to be persuaded to either go to Trump or to Biden. Right. And and that is that's going to play itself out in a very short time frame, probably from July until uh Election Day.
3: Jessica, can you explain for some people here? Because we live in two different worlds right now, and there are a lot of people that love Donald Trump and that want him to be president, and there are some people who can't even fathom the possibility that he's in this position and think he should be in jail. Can you explain for the people in here who think that, what is the Trump appeal? What is it about him that so many millions of people are so devoted to him right now?
0: Well, I think when you talk about people getting their information, I'll tell you where some people are getting their information. They're getting their information when they go to the grocery store, and that bill is so much higher. They're getting their information every single time they fill up their tank of gas. (laughs) They're getting their information when here in California, 50% of our children aren't reading at grade level. That's where they're getting their information from. And they're watching four years ago when we had unemployment rates for women and Latinos and Blacks at their lowest rates. We've seen all of that go back. We've seen Biden inflation that has affected everyday living, whereas 62 percent are saying they are living paycheck to paycheck. And that is the appeal. The appeal is living better and how they lived four years ago versus how they're living now. How
3: do you think all the trials and all that impact Republican voters?
0: Well, I think certainly, you know, if if this is a political move, I think some of it backfired unless you wanted to go up against President Trump again. Right. Um, because every single time there's a new charge, um he goes up in the polls for Republicans, he raises more money um, amongst the base. and so for him, it is something that especially early in this primary, this has benefited President Trump and I think that there are a lot of Americans out there that believe this is politically motivated and they believe it could if it could happen to a former president, it could happen to me And when you get different stories about who the Justice Department is going after, that is very unsettling for many Americans.
1: I I think there's a a couple false sense of securities that the Trump campaign will eventually realize. And one is over 60 percent of Americans believe that he's committed a crime. Okay, again, when he's the nominee, people will take that differently and put it into their risk quotient factor uh, about voting. Right. If there is a trial and I don't know if there will be a trial, but if there is a trial, that in itself each day will be quite uh, dramatic. And quite frankly, some of the best uh, numbers that Joe Biden ever had was during the January 6th hearings because people did learn new things about Donald Trump and the insurrection. So I think there's a false sense of security because, oh, he got indictments and he went up with the Republican primary voters, which is like Democratic primary voters, kind of, you know, a unique group of voters, mm-hmm. um, not the big general election voters. And so I think that will come home to roost. The second is, I think there's a false sense of security in some of the um, beating up on the economy and the diagnostics. I, I don't know where you got the paycheck to paycheck number. I've never seen that. But the fact is, is that now economic diagnostics and polling have become political. Like if you have a Republican president, Democrats say the economy is shitty. And if you have a Democratic president, the Republicans say uh, that the economy is shitty. A different diagnostic, which I think is important, is almost 60 percent, about 58 percent of people, when you just ask them about personally, are are, are you doing well are you doing good? OK, you know, um, people, their finances are good. Right. And and so, again, all economic sentiment and economic confidence numbers, Are moving up. I don't care whether you're doing the conference board. I don't know where you, whether you look at Gallup, University of Michigan, um, or civic science, economic sentiment numbers are moving up. And usually there's a lag time between how that is uh, uh, digested with voters, et cetera. Not saying everything is great. You're going to make an argument. The Trump campaign is going to make an argument that everything is shit. We understand that. But the fact is, is that I think that there's a false sense of security to that. Once people see again, not only what Joe Biden has done, but campaigns, Joel Benison always said, what campaigns are about the future. The future. Yeah. And I think Joe Biden has a hell of a lot more to talk about what he's going to do to invest in the American economy and families for the future. And Donald Trump will just be negative and demeaning and beat people up.
3: How much is somebody's education level determinative of where they're going to be right now? Does we get inside the numbers? and How much that has changed?
4: A lot. <laughs> Um, and but it's also not static it can change the more highly educated you are the more likely you are for joe biden however the union vote is up for grabs and you know i very rarely watch tv anymore just because it's not i get my news from various places and i'm always running around
3: thank you no, oh, just, no I, I'm so. It's okay.
4: That's. If, I wish I had. That's,
3: that. that's okay. Yeah, if
4: I would watch. It's
3: great games. on digital and good podcast. <laughs> yes. We'll send you the links. Okay. Yeah. Yeah.
4: What I was going to say was, uh but this morning I um turned it on and watched you because I wanted to know who was going to be on this panel. Yeah. Um. And uh, the I caught the head of the UAW on Morning Joe who was making one of the most effective arguments, not just for Joe Biden, because Joe Biden is the union guy, but against Donald Trump, calling him a scab, telling anecdotes of things that he had done as president against unions, one of the worst NLRB boards uh, that, you know, whose goal was to dismantle unions. That argument to certain voters um, will be incredibly powerful when you're comparing that to the first president who actually walked the picket line. So, it, you know, education can be determinative um, and even and more and more so as time goes on. But when with Joe Biden on the ballot and union voters up for grabs, I think we'll see a little bit of a shift in that.
3: John, we've seen a, a, a shift from Latino men and black men away from the Democratic Party Obviously, they were such a huge majority and they still have a majority, but it's less in certain polls. Why is that? And are you concerned by that?
1: Yeah. And, and before I get to that, I just wanted to build on one thing yeah. that I think everyone should watch out for is because, uh, um, we've done great with college educated voters, which is not the, not the case in like, for example, in 2000 when Bush would, uh, would have taken college educated voters, but watch non college educated women because we also have a great contrast on choice and reproductive rights. Yeah. And this is this debate is not over. If you saw news today about what you know, some of uh, the pro-life groups are now going to go to drag to get the EPA to uh, talk about the abort or get the abortion pill uh, as a forever drug to ban it. This is like this is if Trump becomes president. They already have the agenda. So, again, look at non-college educated um, uh, women, I think, could be an interesting group uh, with reproductive rights. I think the one thing about, um, younger African American men and, uh, African, er, Latino men I- in general is that they've been voting more and more, uh, Republican. But it's not just a Joe, a Joe Biden thing. Right. This is, this, you know, predates him and is part of it. Uh, again, I mean, you saw in the Georgia Senate race in 2022, African American Democratic U.S. Senator Warnock, African American Challenger, Herschel Walker, Af- African-American turnout the lowest since 2014. So this isn't, you, know, you see what I'm saying? And so I think that there is a ton of work to do in both of those communities, but it's a little bit more organic than it is spe- specific to one candidate. Uh And I think the Republicans, quite frankly, have done a fantastic job of it. I think that Donald Trump goes right after our base I think when I was doing races against Rick Scott in Florida, he would go right after our base. And so, you know, the fact is, is that we have a lot of work to, excuse me, to do there. Um, And, you know, there's not a, there's not a lot of explaining to it other than, you know, again, you got to make the argument of whose side you're on. What group are you
3: guys most targeting?
0: So nationally, there's been, we break it down into specific communities. Generally speaking, it happens within targeted congressional districts or targeted swing states in a presidential or with a statewide Senate race. So here in California, this is an investment that the RNC has made uh, over the last two cycles. So in 2021, actually the first in the nation Asian American uh engagement center was put in Little Saigon in Michelle Park Steel's district. I think you came out and, and yeah, did some interviews there. Yep. This was a huge focus for us because we needed to make sure that we were showing up just as a community. We launch precinct walks and we do phone baits from there too, but we're open year-round. So we have a Tai Chi class that practices there on Fridays. We have um our um uh Vietnamese dance team that practices there on Saturday. This year, we took a project that was started in South Florida called the Republican Civics Initiative. And what we do there, it's a seven week class, two hours a week. Our staff is trained by the Department of State. We help people study for their citizenship exams. So in California, we've done three additional community engagement centers focused on the Latino community and again, in targeted congressional seats. So we have one in Palmdale for Congressman Mike Garcia. We've got one in Bakersfield for Congressman David Valadeo. We've got one in Merced for Congressman Duarte. This is something that we are committed to doing, and that is showing up in the community and showing that we care.
3: John, um, let's talk about the border. Uh, I've heard you on on Mike Murphy's fabulous Hacks on Tap talking about that issue. Um, It's now talked about. uh, There's a big discussion nationally this week about whether to do something about it or not. Um, how does that play when it comes to the national election? And is that a voting issue for people?
1: It It is a voting issue. If you look at the crosstabs, it's much more of an intense voting issue with self-identified Republicans. It's, yeah. it's often the number one issue um, if you do a list of issues. Not saying that's it's not important for independents or for Democrats. It is you know, one of those emotional, dramatic issues, you see it on TV. I mean, right. I mean, like you you see the border, et cetera. It's a very visual issue. And again, I think one of the big mistakes that was made by the Trump team or Trump himself was trying to quash any negotiations to get a deal in Congress. Uh, And I think it's going to bite him back in the ass because now Joe Biden's out there wanting to to solve the problem. And it's about solving the problem. And, you know, he's made statements about shutting the border down. And you have Donald Trump, who basically has told the Republican leaders in the House, and this is all, you know, you've been on the news, don't do it. We don't want to give Biden a win. Okay. Again, national priorities, like who's serious about solving problems. And so it has, again, given, I think um, the president an opportunity to not only show leadership, but to show that Donald Trump is going to play politics with this issue,
3: he's not interested in solving the problem. Jessica, would you admit that that is both bad politics and bad policy?
0: Well, I think that right now, what we're looking at is Democrats had an opportunity to solve the crisis, and they didn't take it. And since President Biden has been in office, but didn't how many times can't plan, do it without
1: a Republican Congress? Yeah. How,
0: how many different times? Is, they've done plenty of things with the Republican Congress. Um, even though it's he the, has, the Republicans will
4: work with him, Right.
0: Even though he has signed so many executive orders that has affected what has happened at the 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 border. Now he's made effectively every single state a border state. When you have mayors of cities like Chicago and New York buckling to the pressure of what's going on. I watched a little bit of the um committee hearings this morning. And you know, Garcia from Long Beach was talking about how this is not this is. Been an issue that started a long time ago. Well, people are feeling it right now. So, what am I going to believe, you or my lion eyes?
3: But to John's point, with Trump being so blatant about this, saying, don't give Biden a win, doesn't he take the pressure? off of Biden and allows Democrats just to blame Republicans for not doing something about it. Isn't he giving them a win in the process?
0: We'll see. I mean, each one of these campaigns is going to have to strategically decide what they're going to what decisions they make and on policies and otherwise. But that's his gamble to make.
3: What do you see as as the sort of key issues going forward in this race?
0: Well, it's different for different blocks of voters.
4: And if I could just address immigration for a second, you know, John is right that they're, the intensity on immigration lives with Republican-based voters. It's a mobilizer for them. It is not a mobilizer in the same way for independents or Democrats. However, it can be a mobilizer if they see somebody putting kids in cages or separating mothers from their children or bashing and insulting U.S. citizens who happen to be of certain descents. And that's the the you know the trump rhetoric the trump likeness that really you know lost him the the 2020 race and has impacted every single election we've had since he was elected in 2016 so there is a lot of different ways to look at the immigration issue it it is true that it is a, a liability for president biden now that president former president trump has torpedoed a viable solution to the current problem He owns it. He owns the problem. And if I were on the Biden campaign, I would be making him own that problem every single day, not to reach Republican voters, but to reach uh, that middle. So I think that what was a liability for President Biden has now become a weapon that he can use as part of his arsenal to reach those voters. Other issues, I do think crime uh, will be an issue. It depends on how it will be used. Um, by the opposing campaigns. I think the economy, I know it's easy to say um, because the economy is always an issue, Um, but it will be an issue this time because you are comparing two different, for the first time in history, two different presidents' records on the economy. And that will be a a big piece of President Biden's argument going forward. Not just that my economy is better than his, but We're on a path right now to build a free and fair country. We're on a path right now to protect the backs of the middle class, to give everybody a chance to succeed. But we're not done. It is this is not time to turn back. And if we elect this guy, we're not just going back. We're we're going back into the ditch. So.
3: John, what do you see as as the the issues for the, that independent voter, those very few people in those seventy? So
1: this may be strange to say because I think that we're all trained to like have a umbrella message and be very focused, et cetera. Again, when you win by seventy seven thousand votes and forty four thousand votes, you're you have to talk to everyone and your margins are everywhere. Like, for example, one of the biggest gains from sixteen to twenty, for the president was with seniors, voters 65 and over, right? I mean, he won them. We're, we're leading by a, a very small amount, but that's a huge, huge gain. What do we have? $35 insulin, $2,000 cap for med, med, uh, uh, Medicare, uh, negotiating with, uh, um, uh, now, uh, the pharmaceuticals with Medicare. So there's all, you know, so for seniors, those are big issues. Social security and Medicare and protecting it is going to be a huge issue. So, but I could go to almost every demographic group and I think that we're, we and you are going to be talking to them in a bunch of different ways. If you're talking to young people, you're just talking about different things. You know, maybe you'll be talking about climate change and maybe you'll be talking about student debt, right? I mean, if you're talking to working moms, uh, uh et cetera, that's a different issue. Caregiving, huge issue in America, mm-hmm. Right. No one thinks about, you know, those those family members and uh, caregivers who, like, you know, take care of family members, et cetera. There's so many just the kind of niche issues. Child care tax credit, a big one, uh, both in the African-American and Latino community, but also uh, overall. So I know it sounds strange that there's not just going to be one issue, but sure. most of these issues also fall into a uh, it's the economy stupid Or, you know, it's it's a cost of living, stupid um, uh, uh, kind of frame. And then you have democracy, which, you know, everyone was like, oh, you know, democracy is not a real issue. Joe Biden, as president, gives this unbelievable speech in October of 2022. Everyone's like, why is he talking about that? The number two issue. Mm -hmm. Literally in our post-election polls um not for biden but you know show that it, democracy
3: is so never two issue need. for biden voters or no biden yeah. for it just for nationally and i think that you're although people see that, see that in the different majority. ways yeah they, they definitely view it different that ways Joe biden is a threat to.
1: but allow me to suggest we're right. on the we're on the advantage side of that yeah.
4: Yeah. it's a it is a driver for yeah. um democratic leaning voters not just democrats but
1: democratic leaning right and independents who worry about Trump's behavior and what another term would be. And
4: just think about the split screen that will be going on um, with a trial that's supposed to be starting in March um, and an argument being made on the campaign trail about the need to protect our democracy. Um, there's one other issue, and you know we don't mention it because it's uh, so obvious, um, but abortion will right. be a huge issue in this election. Um, and. You know, the idea of, um, for the first time in history, somebody taking your freedom away from you, a constitutional right that we've had for generations being taken away from more than 50% of this country. So we will see a lot of that.
3: And it was interesting yesterday, I was with Vice President Harris, who's on the reproductive freedom tour. Mm -hmm. Uh, She's out on the stump. And I know there's been a lot of critics of her. Uh, But it seems on that issue, she's certainly found her voice and is a very effective messenger. Um, And maybe that's an advantage of having a female vice president. Then you wouldn't have, you know, an old white guy talking about that issue. Um, Speaking of of that, I guess, well, I'll go to her now. I'll I'll bring up that issue because I was gonna bring that up Um, there. You know, her poll numbers are not great. Um, What do you see as her role and what would be the most effective way to use her in the next year? Yes, sure. Yeah. Um,
4: Well, I mean, poll numbers of vice presidents are rarely great because people are not paying attention to them, and they rarely see them. Who would
3: be 86 years old? So maybe the vice president matters a little more than before, right? Uh.
4: Well, I I understand that that's an argument that's being made out there very effectively, um, by the Republican Party. Um, I, I will say this about Vice President Harris. Um, she is extremely popular with young people um with democratic voters and with women and she had ver- had a very successful college tour um through the fall uh to organize young voters she is in the midst of this um reproductive freedom tour talking to women um about the need to stand up and protect your freedoms um and how she and Joe Biden will do that um i i think that for a vice president and you know like We had lots of conversations about how to use Joe Biden in 2012, and we sent him to every union community you could think of. Um, But, um, you know, for larger media markets or uh, big events, you reserve the president. So you will see the vice president, um, Kamala Harris, being used in that same way with the audiences that respond really well to her. Um, and, and that those numbers are growing. I, I understand the arguments that have been made over the past several years for a variety of reasons that aren't all necessarily fair to her, um, that she wasn't effective. Once you look under the hood and you see her, the work she's actually doing and what she's doing on the campaign trail, I would say that she is one of the most effective vice presidents, um, that we've seen. And I think that will prove to be true, um, the closer we continue to be uh, proven to be true the closer we get to the election
3: jessica you agree with that
0: i would love to see more of her as well um the only person that has lower approval ratings than president biden is vice president harris so we love seeing her out there i wish the media would ask her a little bit more about her role as the borders are um we don't see that as She's much never,
3: she was never called the borders are no, they, they she, she would investigate the, the root, root causes, causes of migration. Yeah. I he would never use the see phrase border And yet up. that is so out there that she's the border zone, but that's of never been said. A
4: very effective Republican party. Yeah.
3: You're welcome. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, who do you think would be most effective for Donald Trump to pick as VP?
0: I think there's a lot of options. And I think that's what we saw really during, uh, this presidential primary year. Um, there is a embarrassment of riches out there. Um, I think that it's exciting to see someone like Ambassador Haley. I, I don't know that President Trump would necessarily choose her as his vice president. Um, we've seen some others names that are out there. Um, Senator, uh, Tim Scott out of South Carolina is fantastic. Um, obviously, uh, the governor from, uh, D- Doug Burgum from North Dakota, uh, is interesting. Um, a lot of people are talking about, um, our governor from South Dakota. Um so there's a lot of options Christy out Noem. there.
3: Christy Nome or Sarah Huckabee Sanders some people are yes, about. from Arkansas out. as well. Who would be the the most effective messenger for the Republicans on that side uh, uh John to you. Do you think well, I mean, that, I that just, would be the scariest or You know,
1: most, I mean I don't want that helps. I don't want, not looking to be a smart ass but embarrassment seemed to be the key word there. <laughs> <laughs> and when you said embarrassment. I mean, like you have, you know, the 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 you know, the the leader uh Stephanie Ack uh, from New York, who literally had a press conference and called people who had been, you know, sent to jail for the insurrectionists and and beaten the hell out of police called them hostages. And, And like, she's like, she's out there, you know, quite frankly, auditioning for vice president. And so when you have someone like Donald Trump, I'm not sure it matters who the vice president is, and I don't think we're worried about who the vice president is going to be, um, you know, it, because Donald Trump, you know, is the per, it, it, again, I mean, you, you know, it, it's like the conversation, uh, about Kamala Harris, who I think completely has her sea legs and her voice and is going to be, uh, effective for us. I think that she will be a very effective tool. Um, but every vice presidential candidate has their niche. If we were talking about Mike Pence, we would have been talking about Oh, he was like the, you know, he campaigned for the evangelicals right. and in the rural areas, yeah. et cetera. And so, um it it's going to be an interesting um, you know, it's going to be an interesting selection because Nikki Haley would have been the natural choice um and there's no way she's going to do it. How
3: or would he even ask her? Yeah. Probably not. I mean,
4: he's already, oh, yeah. you know,
3: hard to imagine that.
4: Prevented um, her donors from being part of MAGA. <laughs>
3: Although when once you like him, he seems to like you pretty quickly. I mean, that seems to be a thing, too, because he owns them. Yeah. Yeah. You know Um, what uh, in terms of the sort of big picture of where we go next? A lot of people are thinking of this as a Biden Trump binary choice. But we may have more candidates than that in the in the race. We already have Bobby Kennedy. We know Cornell West and Jill Stein are in it. And there may be Joe Manchin or some sort of no labels candidate or campaign that goes forward. Can you talk about the role of third parties and how that could change this in a big way?
4: Well, we've talked about how the general election will be won on the margins. Right. Um, it'll be a very close race. We walk through how many votes elected president trump how many votes elected president biden when you throw a third party in there the reason president trump won in 2016 was because of third parties yeah if you took jill stein out of the equation
3: and gary johnson too
4: and gary johnson um but you know mostly jill stein um you know we'd be talking about president clinton so for the third parties that are currently in the race, and we don't know what's going to happen with No Label or Joe Manchin or or any, anything like that, but Bobby Kennedy is going to pull from President Biden. Bobby Kennedy has not been incredibly successful getting on ballots, but we will see him trying to establish himself as a, a as part of a political party to make it easier. I think it's a real threat. Cornell West, yeah, you know. It's yet to be seen um, how far he'll take this, uh, or what impact he will have. But the existence of what who is currently in the race as third parties is, is very damaging to the the Democratic ticket. And you know it'll be interesting the further we get along to see where some of their money is coming from. Um, and I think that if we are able to connect the dots, we're going to be connecting the dots to a lot. Of Trump funders um, who know that having these people in the race um, uh, helps eat away at Biden's margins. So that's my belief. We also have Dean Phillips, who's now talking about maybe running as an independent. I don't know where he thinks he's going to go. <laughs>
1: but yeah, listen, we're going to I think it's going to be incumbent upon both campaigns uh, as this plays out. And third-party candidates is just a disaster for polling, by the way. Like, another reason, like, people will think that there were mistakes in polling. People love to say that they're going to vote third-party, and it never kind of matches where they at At the end of the day, people say they're going to vote third-party, and... Then they make this again, this mm-hmm. risk factor. Like, okay, they know what happened in 2016, and that's or 2000. Yeah. Even think about Ralph Nader. Yeah, yeah. He, he yeah, no on doubt on that about stupid that stupid butterfly right. ballot with Pat exactly. McCain, right? Exactly. And so, Al, President Al, so Al Gore. So I think 1992? the, I think the yeah. seriousness of, of kind of again the equation that young people, for example, would make who would love to vote third party will all you know at the very end there they've got to make a decision and they will remember 2016 and and so I think that we'll see a dissipation of third party from the polling that you see right now, if you ask, you know, Joe Biden, Donald Trump, or someone else, or list them, you get anywhere between, I don't know, 13 and 15%, sometimes a little less, sometimes a little more. And the fact is, is that that will never sustain itself most likely. Yeah. Um, And it'll dissipate. And it's, it's our job. And matter of fact, I mean, you the the Kennedy votes really hard because he pulls some of the vaxxer, the non-vaxxers, and the Trump people, and he pulls some of the Biden people. But it's all about ballot access. I mean, mm-hmm. these these individuals have to get on the ballot. You're no labels is the Republican going to run for president and the Democrat for vice president, or is it going to be vice versa? Right. Uh, There was a story out not too long ago that the Trump campaign has reached out to the uh, Bobby Kennedy jr. Campaign about VP and he didn't rule it out. Mm -hmm. So like, there's so much good drama yet. I mean, we're living in a movie script people, (laughs) right. And it's like being written week by week.
3: But to Stephanie's point, Jessica, Even if it isn't 13, 15 percent, if it's 1 percent or even half a percent, if these races are that close in swing states, that could make the difference in this election.
0: Yeah, I think it's yet to be seen. I think we we have certainly experienced it in elections before. We don't know what it's going to happen. I think that each one of these candidates are going to have to make their case to the voters. And if they're not doing that well enough and a third party comes in And goes after that, then we're going to see results from it. But I think it's yet to be seen of how much it'll affect.
3: We hear about violence all the time in the news, yet we rarely hear stories about peace. There are so many people who are working hard to promote solutions to violence, toxic polarization, and authoritarianism, often at great personal risk. We never hear about these stories but at what cost? On Making Peace Visible, we speak with journalists, storytellers, and peace builders who are on the front lines of both peace and conflict. You can find Making Peace Visible wherever you listen to podcasts. Another big issue is just the president's age. It, it is an issue that voters talk about. You you see polls, John, that 66% of Democrats are concerned about it or you know potentially want a different nominee that doesn't mean they're not going to vote for him over Donald Trump but it's something that they're thinking about how do you think he should message on this well first of all we just have a, have to have a reality check conversation
1: alex about this because you know you can, you can pull the, one the reality is Joe Biden's front and he he has a tremendous record and the fact is is that when you take a look at the head-to-heads, his consolidation of Democrats is almost as high as the consolidation with Trump as Republicans. And, you know, again, in terms of messaging it, people know it, people know his age, and they're going to make a decision at the end of the day based on what he did as president and what he wants to do as uh, in his next term. And that's really how you message on the age, is here's what I've done,
3: here's what I want to do for America's future. But should, I mean, should he lean into, Stephanie, maybe this idea of wisdom? I mean, which they talk about a little bit, but like really talk about that in a different way or be self-deferential about the age, which he's done some of. I mean, how do you, how do you handle that if you're offering your advice?
4: There's nothing we can do about his age. (laughs) He's 81. Everybody knows it. Uh, He has been self-deprecating. There is an argument out there that because he knows how to do this job, because he knows how to get things done, because he can talk to world leaders, because of all of these uh, different experiences, America is in a better place um, today. I find it interesting that Nikki Haley is going after Trump for his age uh, and questioning his mental fitness. Right, and I think that will, you know, come back to bite her <laughs> um, for her future ambitions. But it, you know, it's um, it has caught hold. People are talking about it. Not that anybody really thought there was, you know, mental fitness there, but they didn't think it was due to age. Now she's linking those things together because he, you know, gave the rally speech calling her Nancy Pelosi right. and, um, and things like that. Um, so, you know, we have two older white men, um, on the ballots. It doesn't negate each other. Can Democrats make it negate? How how this is handled on the campaign trail will matter. But I also think no voter is surprised by this. This is a known fact that the president... Is older,
3: and it's interesting. We had Nancy Pelosi on the issue as last week, and she said that Trump has a cognitive disorder trying to sort of take that issue back and throw it on them. But this is something people think about. It's something people talk about. You talk to voters when I interview people. It's something very Mm -hmm. top of mind. And even though Trump is three years younger than Joe Biden, they talk about it more with Joe Biden. They just do. What What do you? How do you see this issue?
0: Well, I think they draw a contrast between the two, right? And you see someone who has a lot of vigor. Who is out there? Who stands up in front of a podium, sometimes for hours, for hours on end, and someone who is very rarely out, who's calling lids very early in the day, and so it's an easy contrast to make, even though there's only a three year difference.
3: So, how do you guys talk about that issue, and, and and the danger that if Trump does some of that himself, that becomes a, a danger for you all too.
0: I don't think we've really seen that in the same way. And again, the contrast has been, I think, very significant. And I think that's why Republicans have been successful about talking about it. If President Biden was someone who was on the campaign trail and out there, um, even on the presidential and policy side, as much as President Trump was when he was in the office, I think that it would be a very different discussion. But right now, it's an easy case for us to make. So if you
3: had to like bumper sticker, this we will go down the, the line on this bumper sticker what this what the message is for both parties. That'd be interesting. What do you think is the bumper sticker argument for Trump and the bumper sticker argument for Biden?
0: Let's bring back prosperity.
3: For which one?
0: <laughs> for Trump. Sorry. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding.
3: I'm kidding. For Trump. And what would you what would your argument I know you never don't want to give advice to the other side, but what do you think would be the best argument for Biden? I can do better. Okay. <laughs> I listen I think this election is
1: about, again, uh investing in America's economic future. I really believe that at, at the core that's what this is about. And it's interesting that in 2020, you know, you really in the entire campaign Trump n- almost never talked about uh the economy. And I think the, the the contrast message, there's so many of them, um but it it comes down to, you know, crazy and chaos. I mean, it is about what the the, the hour by hour, day by day, week by week chaos that this man brings to your life. What about you?
4: There's so many running through my head. Um, <laughs> and I'm trying to land on one. I mean, you could, you know, if Joe Biden cares about you, Donald Trump Donald Trump cares about Donald. We've recovered. No time to turn back. We're building a better America. No time to go back to chaos and disruption and division. You know, all of those arguments, I think we're going to see in different ways on the campaign trail. It is really hard to put this election on a bumper sticker. But I will also tell you, we have this conversation every presidential year, and it's just not the way politics works anymore.
3: What do you mean by that?
4: There are complex issues in a complex electorate that need to be broken down. You cannot put it on a a bumper sticker.
3: Do you guys think there's going to be a presidential debate? Because I think there's incentive for both of them not to debate. But do you think that there will be?
4: (laughs) uh well the trump campaign boycotted the presidential commission on debates and vowed not to do them so no i don't think so because yeah. they've already said no
3: you think so do you think there's going to be a debate
4: we'll see
0: <laughs> <laughs> i really don't know
3: yeah i mean that's although i guess that this year what else do you need to hear or <laughs> yeah. i mean there's so much in, in in terms of uh in terms of both of them i'm curious uh stephanie for for you from a especially for somebody that worked and knows Obama so well, you know, Trump objectively is a more compelling person on stage right now. He just is. And, but he also is often a solo act, like his literally said in 2016, I alone can fix it. Joe Biden and the Democrats a little bit more of an ensemble. Right, you got a lot of different people, including former President Obama and Michelle Obama, and the Clintons, and all of the other folks and associated with the party, from Gavin Newsom to Gretchen Whitmer, all the rest of them. What do you see in terms of the ensemble effect for Democrats and how they should think about that going forward?
4: You mean as surrogates,
3: the surrogates, and as bench? messengers, and and yeah. all that stuff? We can talk about the bench in a bit, but just in terms of how to utilize. I mean, if you do have. An older president that maybe can't do six events a day, Mm -hmm. but you got all these other people that want to be president one day and that really like Joe Biden, genuinely like Joe Biden Mm -hmm. and are happy to talk about him. What's the most effective way to utilize them?
4: Mm -hmm. I mean, first of all, neither Joe Biden or Donald Trump are doing six events a day, but there are great surrogates for Joe Biden. And whether it's Michelle Obama, and I heard during the first panel, somebody mentioned that Republicans think Michelle Obama is going to step into the race. Nothing could be further from that truth. She wants nothing to do with electoral politics, unless she is out stumping for Joe Biden and trying to prevent Donald Trump from being um, another four-term president. So she is one of the most effective messengers Anybody has ever seen, not just Democrats, and really can sum up. I'll never forget her 2016 convention speech where she really summed up what kind of country do you want to live in um, and uh, was one of the most effective arguments against Donald Trump. Barack Obama, the young people, obviously the base, but independents, he's still hugely popular. Bill Clinton um, with the Democratic base, Gretchen Whitmer, Gavin Newsom. You're a governor. Wes Moore, Josh Stein, Josh Shapiro, all of these Democrats who are committed to being out there and stumping for Joe Biden will be really effective, particularly a governor in their own state. For these national Democrats, they can go places, you know, that uh, because of scheduling or the burdens of being a president Joe Biden can't get to, still raise the money, still draw out the crowd, still register people to vote. It's, it's, it is an enormous asset.
1: And I would also add that five out of the seven states, I think, have Democratic governors. Mm-hmm. And so if you're a Shapiro, yeah, governors, like they're transactional people. They get things done. And they and, and a lot of what the Biden administration has been able to accomplish, whether it's the Bipartisan Infrastructure Act or the CHIPS Act or IRA, which had a lot of uh, new energy. I mean, they're putting it to use now. Like you can show the roads and bridges and water systems if you're in Pennsylvania, or the EV and battery plant that went to Michigan, et cetera, et cetera. Right? The 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 semiconductor plant that's uh, in Hobbs and in Arizona. And so I think the surrogate's become really important um at almost a transactional level of helping to talk about all these amazing things that have helped again kind of uh reinvigorate transform their economies.
4: And, and you're already seeing that. Mm-hmm. Governor Shapiro in Pennsylvania just did an event last week on I-95 uh, where the bridge collapsed, thanking President Biden for providing the resources to fix Pennsylvania's aging uh, infrastructure. There are literally dozens of these projects happening in every single state right now.
3: What do you see as the Republican Party's role in all of this?
0: Well, we're the infrastructure, right? We build the runway and the candidates are the plane. And so that's our job. So we're engaged on the data side of things. We're engaged on the organizing side of things. We're engaged on, you know, the large dollar fundraising that can happen through a party that cannot happen because of of limits for candidates. So that's what we will continue to do.
3: We're going to do questions in just a moment. I just want to ask one more question as the California politics guy that does the California show um, around the horn. Clearly, Gavin Newsom is engaged in this campaign. There are different thoughts on why he may be so engaged in this campaign, but we see him uh, campaigning around the country just last week, going to several different swing states to make his message. What do we make of him and what he's doing? Is it effective? And how does he play into all of this? Jessica, I'll give you that softball to start off.
0: So I love seeing him in places like South Carolina, where there's a clear contrast Um, You know, we've watched 700,000 people leave our state in 2022 alone. We lost a congressional seat for the first time in our state's history. And we're seeing them go to places like Florida, like Texas, like Idaho. Um, So when he visits places like South Carolina or places like Nevada, I like that because we have Gavin Newsom's greatest hits that we can talk about. Whether it's the economy, whether it's education, the highest gas prices in the nation, the unaffordability crisis that we have here, we love being able to show the contrast of what Democrats want to do to the rest of the country, and that is take California to them.
3: Who do you think would be a stronger uh, Democratic nominee in 2024, Joe Biden or Gavin Newsom?
0: I think Gavin Newsom would be a stronger Democrat nominee for Democrats. I think he would be harder to beat than Joe Biden would be.
3: Around the country. Mm -hmm. You do. Interesting. Okay. Uh, I didn't know if you were going to say that. Uh, John, would, well, I, I, don't, yeah, I, don't, so, I don't know if you're going to, you're not going to answer that, that. question. No, good. no, no. But, uh, hey, listen, but Gavin of, Newsom, all of, you
1: had to watch of. was the debate for DeSantis to understand that Gavin Newsom is a great spokesperson for the Democratic Party. Okay. Why to be a Democrat? I mean, it was a smackdown. He's an incredibly succinct. He's good at delivering a message. And I think that he's an incredible. Value to the Democratic Party for the presidential and for other races as well of why you know why you should be a Democrat.
3: Who would be the front runner in twenty twenty eight? Do you think?
1: Oh, listen, if if you know everyone wants to, like Everybody. if you're a governor or a U.S. senator, a Democrat or Republican, like you're you know you're gonna you're What's gonna run a vice for president. Was that a vice or a vice president? president. Yeah. I mean, yeah. you know, you're gonna run. I mean, you're gonna run.
3: Yeah. What do you think of of Newsom? How he's doing his moves.
4: So I'll be honest, I don't know exactly where he's traveling to or how they're using him on the campaign trail, but I've always thought he was
1: just a, a great messenger.
4: He knows how to communicate, how to break things down, not talk above people, but right at them.
1: And I would also add, also in California, Pete Aguilar, who's the number three in the House in leadership, fantastic surrogate. I mean, again, another person who I think you'll see out there because he's very good Uh, At articulating a
3: Democratic message, chair of the House uh, Democrats. Um, All right. Question time. Line up at the mics if Mm -hmm. you have them.
5: I have a question for you, Ms. Milan Patterson. Um, Alex gave you a question, and I would like you to revisit it because it wasn't clear to me with your answer. You answered about the economy. But I'm trying to figure out what the allure of Donald Trump himself is. And you made a statement that people think, well, if it happened to him, it could happen to me. I'm not sure what the it is. If you didn't grab women by the (laughs) you didn't steal documents, you didn't spread feces in the Congress, why would the government be after you?
3: So are you an undecided voter? (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah,
2: okay. So I think I
0: led with some people believe that some of these charges that are being brought forth, whether Department of Justice or in individual states or or counties, are politically motivated. And if it can happen to the former president of the United States, then it can happen to anyone. That is what some people believe. I believe that the allure of Donald Trump is the fact that, when, we, when he was president, there was a uh, record low unemployment for African-Americans, for women, for Latinos. There was a sense that we were getting ahead. There was more money in our pockets. Our wages were keeping up with the inflation. Those types of things, I think, are very alluring to many voters. So you're saying that despite
5: whatever personal flaws or legal problems that people will overlook that because of their pocket books.
0: I will. Yes, I would say that. Thank you.
3: Thank you. Yes. I have a couple of quick questions. One is on the issue of freedoms. There's been discussion about setting precedent for taking away other freedoms besides, you know, the abortion issue. That's question number one. Maybe you can comment on that. The other one is the role of foreign policy in this election. You know, with the wars in the Middle East and Russia and Ukraine. How it you know? I guess how that plays out in the next six to eight months. There's always the last thirty days before the election when people look at the world and they say, "Well, where are we with foreign policy?" Maybe that affects their vote. Yeah, that's a question I, I should have asked earlier, and thank you for bringing it up. Um, especially, and, and maybe John, we go to you on that. Um, the The situation in Gaza seems to be splitting the Democratic Party especially between older voters and younger voters. And what's that impact?
1: Yeah, listen, you know, whether it's Ukraine or whether it's Israel, Gaza, I mean, you can look at when these when they start, you know, America's fully attention, you know, they're seen on the news, you know, very engaged. And then it kind of falls off. Right. And we've seen that with Ukraine and we've seen that with Israel and Gaza. And again, so there may be young people who, again, you know, want to cease fire or or, uh, have leanings one way or the other you know, they're going to make a decision whether that is the deciding factor for them, right, versus, again, all of the other things that Joe Biden means in terms of the other freedoms, whether freedom of democracy, investing in America's economy, etc. So, you know, single issue voters tend to usually live a little bit more on the Republican side than the Democratic side. And what we don't know is the unknown, right? right? That's the unknown. I mean, right now, The Republicans in Congress are holding up Ukraine funding. Well, if that starts going south, someone's going to have to take the blame for that. So that could, again, come and bite the Republicans in the ass. And we don't know what, you know, right now there's there's talks about a ceasefire and a negotiation with uh, to get the hostages free. And are we at the end of it or are we at the middle? And the fact is that we don't
3: know. So we don't know how it will impact the election. And we don't know, say that this happened October 7th, 2023, Would be if there were something that right. happened like that, October 7th, 2024, right. that could be a game changer. Yeah.
2: Uh, yes. Hi. So similar question. I think you're kind of downplaying it because in Michigan, there's like a strong Arab population and they're not going to vote for genocide, Joe. And but but for-
1: that's That's great. I don't want to cut you. Out. I want to hear the rest of it. But the, the fact is, is that, you know, again, the election's a long time away. And Trump is literally the person who wanted to ban Arab Americans from America. And so everyone's going to, again, have kind of a decision to make here. And, you know, again, we don't know what's going to happen in Israel and in uh, Gaza in the next seven months. But there's there's also choice. Campaigns are about choices. And your choice is also to stay home. Or, and I don't mean that about Arab Americans. It could be young people. It could be rural people, etc.
3: Or vote third party. Or you got, I mean, you got yeah. Bobby Kennedy or Jill Stein sure. running on right. campaigns of peace. Yeah. You know, that could be a place that some of those folks go to.
2: But, I Finish your question. Sorry. But yeah, for a lot of them, it is a red line. I guess you could call it a single issue vote, but it is a red line because America, like, they also cut funding to UNRWA and that they provide aid to 2 million Palestinians, and those Palestinians are right now starving in Gaza on top of the bombing. So people are seeing this, and they see Biden doing it, and they just swear it's going to be difficult, especially people who are Arabs. You know, in Michigan, that's a, something that Biden needs, so it's going to be difficult to change their minds, and they seem pretty, like, convinced that they're not going to do it
3: it'll be really interesting to see the Michigan primary, which is coming up, even on the Democratic side, if there is a vote, even on that side, that goes to what you're talking about in a few weeks. Yes. If I were running the Democratic apparatus, I'd be having Biden or one of his uh, uh, spokespeople at every infrastructure groundbreaking saying, we did infrastructure, and then have clips of Trump saying this is going to be infrastructure week and he never got it done. Mm -hmm. Why aren't the Democrats doing more of that? I think
4: they are. And, you know, it's just a matter of whether you're seeing it. If the I-95 event that I just mentioned, that didn't get covered by national news. I just knew about it because of some people involved in it, but it was covered by local press. So I think that is happening more than we all know, just because we're not living in those states and those communities and reading those papers watching the TV. Well, uh, it, it, yeah. But it is it is an effective argument. And it's not just infrastructure. There's a whole, dozens of issues uh, we can point to. He said he would do it. He didn't. Joe Biden got it done.
3: We need more people to click on the infrastructure story. And I mean, yeah. I, I, it's sort of a joke, but also not. I mean, the Trump crimes. Trump says something does significantly better in the ratings. It gets more clicks. It just does. There's a reason why things are programmed the way they are, and usually it's for the news media to make money on some of this stuff. I do a lot of those stories. I've done those stories. I've been out with the president literally standing in West L.A. doing that story, and barely anybody looked at it, you know? And so we need to do better as a audience of, a, of finding a way to share out those stories or tell that story, too. And I, I'm, I'm conflicted on what that means for the future of media, but that could be a whole other discussion. But thank you for bringing up the point. It's a good point. Yes, sir.
1: Great segue for my question. I work in persuasion research. I know that there is, and as I'm sure everyone else on the stage knows, an immense amount of money being spent this year to figure out how to talk about the economy. We addressed it kind of broadly. There have been a few points we talked about it, like infrastructure. I am curious if we can go a little bit more into the details. I'd love to hear, particularly from uh, Stephanie and John, admittedly, but also would love to hear your point of view, Jessica. What are the, a little bit more specific angles that the Democrats and the Republicans might try to take to unpack this issue of the economy and make it more tangible yeah. or something I, I think it's a great better. question I, for yeah. example the chips act which is like okay what do people know about the chips act and it's all acronyms the fact is is that when you talk to people about it if you're in michigan or you're in you know bringing you know uh, mi- whether it's a microchip factory or EV or a battery factory it's the fact that what joe biden did Completing a campaign process, uh, promise of bringing the supply chain back to America is the pride of building things here again. Like literally hundreds and hundreds of new innovative manufacturing plants are going to be all over the country. And not only is it going to solve the problem, we have another a supply chain problem, but just if you are a worker in Michigan or uh, Wisconsin or, you know, Pennsylvania, the pride of being able to, again, Manufacture and make something is incredibly tangible to those communities.
4: I, I would also say you can unpack it more individually. Cost of insulin, which, you know, families had to apportion out before because they couldn't afford it, significantly brought down. Is it $30 a month? 30,
1: 35,
4: $35. $35. That has huge ramifications for families. College debt, millions of kids have seen their college debt reduced, if not eliminated. Joe Biden wanted to do more and has committed to doing more, but that has huge ramifications for a young person's month-to-month budget, but also career choices. Your cable, your broadband, all reduced because of the IRA. You know, re- reduction of costs generally could be is a way to unpack it.
3: Prescriptions, right? Drug prices.
4: Drug prices, um, you know, for older Americans on Medicare, being being able to negotiate those prices down, putting a cap on it. But it's important for the president's campaign and all of the people around that ecosystem where we're going to be spending money in this election to individualize this as much as
3: possible. Jessica, your thoughts on messaging the economy?
0: I think it's a lot easier for us to individualize it because people are really feeling it. Um, Just this week, I got a email from my daughter's gymnastic classes that the price is going up to keep up with the cost of everything. Um, So people are really feeling it, whether it's a gymnastics class, the grocery bill, you know, are you going to the grocery store? And is milk up significantly? Are eggs up significantly? Are proteins and produce up significantly? And the answer is yes to all of that. I think for um, when we look, look at energy costs, this is something that is going to be huge for us as well. We've seen um, the price of gas na- nationwide go up about a buck $1.30. Um, so this is, you know, in, here in California, we feel it a lot more because we have so many gas taxes on top of that. So I think for us, it's a lot easier to individualize that because people are really feeling it. They're talking about it.
3: Good question. Last question right here. Thank you so much. Um, This question is a question for Jessica, and it's just a clarification on something you discussed earlier. So earlier you discussed how Gavin Newsom, if he were to run on a national level, Republicans could campaign against him saying, look at what he sent to California when you referred to high housing prices, high prices of gas and other things that um, were shortcomings, right? And then immediately after that, there was a weird juxtaposition where you mentioned that on a national scale, you believe that Joe Biden would be a worse candidate then Gavin Newsom. I thought it was really confusing. I'd like you to clarify.
0: Yeah, I think that Governor Newsom is an incredible politician. I think he is a smooth talking, shiny tied salesman. And I think we may have been watching different debates because I walked away from that completely different. When a member of the uh, media held him accountable and asked him very direct questions about what was happening here in California, and comparing his state to Florida, um, it was a very tough position to be. And it was one of those rare moments where I didn't think that Governor Newsom excelled out on the stage. I think that he is a smooth talking guy. I think he is a failure as a leader. And I think he is wrong on most policy issues. But I think that he is incredibly charming to most people.
3: Mm. So then in that case, you believe that because he's very charming, you think that he has a better chance than Joe Biden at winning the presidency? I do. All right. Thank you. On that note, Jessica Patterson going for Gavin Newsom for president.
0: <laughs> uh, or, I would still uh, love to I, run against I'm him. Kidding,
3: I'm kidding. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you all for this really enlightening discussion. Everybody give them a round of applause. Really, really enjoyed it. Thank you all for being here today. It's important to learn about this stuff. There's more great panels to come and uh, hope you'll tune in to The Issue Is This Week.
1: Thank you for joining us on the Bully Pulpit. It helps us a lot when you subscribe and rate the show five stars wherever you get your podcast. Follow us on Twitter at USCPOL Future. That's USCPOL Future. Follow us on Facebook
2: and YouTube and visit our website for upcoming programs.